Hello, my beautiful Woman Inc. listeners. Welcome back. We have taken a few weeks off, a little summer vacation, which was very nice. But I've missed you guys. This is my favorite thing to do, and it just doesn't feel right going live every Friday. So here we are. And my guest this week is Jess Conroy. She is the founder and CEO of Carrots and Cake, a financial operating system for the events industry. Prior to founding Carrots and Cake, Jess worked as an associate at Birch Creative Capital, where she helped manage investments and brand development for the firm's portfolio. Jess is a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania with degrees in economics and Spanish and earned her MBA from NYU's Stern School of Business. I loved this episode with Jess. She said so many things that I truly have never contemplated before, like the fact that a wedding is one of the biggest purchases the average couple will make in their life. But prior to Carrots and Cake, there really weren't a lot of options around financing that wedding, especially specific to the actual location of the event. So I think this business is very brilliant. I loved speaking with Jess and I'm excited for you guys to hear. Now, let's get over to my conversation with Jess. Welcome to the Woman Inc. podcast. This is the place for the new generation of women looking to lead the life of their absolute dreams. I'm your host, Jenna Toddy, entrepreneur, life coach, and strategist for modern businesswomen and entrepreneurs. I am a city girl, sriracha lover, and that friend who will hype you up when you forget how powerful you truly are. I am on a mission to make Women Inc. the most powerful network of women who are leveling up, owning what they want, and becoming who they've always wanted to be. Have you ever wondered what it would look like if you went all in on yourself? No turning back. If so, you are in the right place, my girl. Let's get started. Jess, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so happy to have you today. Thank you so much for having me, Jenna. Lots to talk about. I can't wait. Okay, so I'm obsessed with your business. I'm obsessed with the name. Walk us through first the whole inception of Carrots and Cake. And then I want to kind of go to what you were doing before that that led to starting this company. Yeah, of course. So first, thank you so much. Um, We're super lucky to have so much brand trust both on the consumer side as well as on the business side. My entrepreneurial journey is one of those kind of... You fell into it. And I had this passion for this industry that I just couldn't let go. And the founding story for me is that I was in business school. I saw this opportunity inside this industry where you had half a million local businesses. And at the time, most of the conversation was centered around the end consumer and the 2 million couples that celebrate you know, their marriage every single year, which yes, is incredibly important. But the businesses that power that industry are equally as important. And so for me, there was this opportunity to bring this community together online. And I've always had this belief that the more you support the businesses inside an industry, in turn, the better experience it is for the end user, right? And so it was never just about one side of the equation. It was really this holistic view of empowering the businesses and then simultaneously empowering the end user experience. Amazing. So you were in business school, right? When you started Carrots and Cake. Yes. Walk walk us through the moment. 
it was one of those moments in time that I look back on where I, prior to business school, I was working for Chris Birch, who is this, you know, prolific personality. He's a wildly successful entrepreneur, also investor. And so much of my entrepreneurial journey begins there in that when I worked for him, I had this opportunity to get this close to the fire from, you know, an entrepreneur perspective, you know, sit across the table, watch other entrepreneurs pitch their visions, talk about what they were building, see how they were raising capital. But you were always in sort of a comfortable position. And I listened to uh, Rachel, um, the founder of Pubolve on your podcast, and she talks about how you almost have to have this naivete when you're starting a business, right? And so as much as I was close to see close enough as you could be to watching what this journey would really be like. I absolutely had no idea of what it would really be like when you actually step into the fire. And so I had no intention of starting a business, but I had this opportunity in business school to take a step back and really think about what I wanted. And I saw something in this industry and just really couldn't let it go. So I ended up turning down the opportunity to have you know a summer internship, which is one of those rites of passages in business school. And instead, I wrote the business plan for carrots and cake um, and started building it in the mornings before class during my second year and after school. And you know, it meant that my second half of business school was not the normal journey. I wasn't on all the trips that my friends were doing. I wasn't taking advantage of all those opportunities, but I was building something that I believed in so much that the sacrifice felt worth it. You know, the early mornings when class didn't start till 10 o'clock and I was up at 5.30, you know, working through what this would look like. Um, the afternoon starting to network and build those relationships of the first, you know, people that would become sort of the evangelist of Carrots and Cake on the business side. That's what I spent my afternoons doing. But business school gave me that opportunity to have that flexibility. And I'm for that, I'm forever grateful. Was everyone like, girl, you are working hard. We're drinking on our trips. <laughs> Business plan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think the thing is, is, you know, I think that there were definitely some classmates that were like, what are you doing? And there were other classmates that, you know, were simultaneously, you know, heads down and had sort of, you know, caught this, you know, entrepreneurial bug, if you will, where at the end of the day, I mentor of mine, you know, once said that you can you can have a great idea, but building a business isn't about a singular idea. It's about having such a passion for what you're doing and what you're building, what you're solving, that you have endless ideas because you're going to need to constantly evolve and iterate what you're building. It's not going to be a single idea. And that's, you know, very much in line with our story. You know, we started as a business that has evolved over time to be something you know bigger than it started and it's the excitement around this industry and the problems and the opportunities that we're solving where the ideas just naturally start to flow and so i the noise of you know hey we're out at the bar and you know i'm over here it wasn't even really something that if i was just so head down <laughs> single track <laughs> I love it. So when you think of Jess pre-carrots and cake and Jess now while mm -hmm. have built, built this amazing company, who do you feel like you have had to become in order to be as successful as you are now? Well, first, the second part of that, thank you. But it's it's a journey. You know, you're always like success is a moving target in that regard. I think one of the biggest things that I've learned in this journey. And you kind of know it all along, but that you 
have to involve in how you think about making things happen. And one of the things that I've always done that I think is the reason we are where we are today in a lot of ways is you have to show up every single day. And even even in the moments where it's hard and even in the moments where you don't even know how to show up, you have to show up. And you have to have this unwavering belief in what you're building because there's going to be moments where no one else wants to stand with you. And I think before starting this journey, I had to grow into being able to be that person that, you know, could continue to get pushed down, if you will, or, you know, told that this is not going to happen or that this isn't going to work. Right. And so you start to build this resilience. And for an entrepreneur who's, you know, believed in something for a better part of a decade and to see us where we are now, it is so exciting, but we're also just beginning, but building that muscle into, I think before that, you know, a younger, a younger me, you know, had to build that muscle up. You know, I think sometimes you're born with it. I know definitely, you know, if you talk to friends and family would probably say, oh no, she's always kind of been this way where people say no. And you're like, okay, hold watch me. Um, (laughs) You know, I think that that is, you know, something that you have to have is that resilience. But I think being able to build that muscle and build that resilience. And then also when you start to build that resilience, you realize too the talent that you attract and the team that you build. And like, that's something that you hear people talk about all the time, but that truly the team that you build, you are as strong on this journey as the team you build. And it's not just the team of people that are actually on your payroll, but it's also the team of the support system, you know, and it's the people, the advisors that you go to and the friends that you call when, you know, you don't know what else to do, right? You are as strong as that network. And I think that, again, building that resilience muscle allows you to also be stronger in the people that you're choosing to surround yourself with. Yes, your team. And it's so true, not just your actual team, but your your people have to be strong. I really think that will make or break a founder. I really do. Yeah, it's not, I mean, it's it's not as much as, you know, being a sole founder, you, you know, you're in it. It affects a whole family. It affects, you know, it affects your close friend group, right? Because you're making, you have your, this is your, this is like your child, right? And there's, I'd love to say, you know, sometimes you're, I love to tell my husband, like you come first, but there are moments in time where again, you have the right partner and you're not being, the right partner doesn't make you make that decision, right? They understand that it's not even a decision. You got to go do whatever it is that you have to do. And having that, you know, support system and that team around you of people that are able to, help you have perspective, call you out so that you're not just, you know, floating, but also, you know, be there when you need them to sometimes just be there. Super important. Completely. So you were on the VC side before. What do you think, like being in VC and now being a founder, what do you think are the most important things that you looked at when deciding if this was a feasible business? Oh, I, I would love to tell you that that experience informed. I mean, I definitely took learnings from, you know, evaluating the market size, you know, looking at the opportunity in a different way from experience I had inside, you know, the VC space and working with Chris Birch. I think that the interesting thing for me is that there was though this just gut feeling of being so this was my opportunity, right? Like this was the problem that I wanted to spend the next, you know, the better part of my life solving and building, right? Um, so there's definitely 
an emotional attachment to it, which I think is just interesting because when it hits you that strong, there's not as much as I'd love to tell you like, oh yes, it was a very calculated decision. Jenna, I definitely did model it out. I definitely, you know, from that perspective, I've always been a big believer. Like one of the things that I have always prioritized is monetization and how we think about monetization. Um, You know, not just building for the sake of building, but actually making sure that we're building a business that actually generates revenue was always really important to me. And I believe that that was probably, you know, part of what informed a part of from my past experience, because I think that, you know, if you have your own money, like for me, I was able to bootstrap the business because we were making money at the beginning years, right? I wasn't just beholden to always having to take in additional capital. So that was definitely probably based on my past experience. But part of it was just that there was something here. And this industry just embraced me too. When I started meeting the local entrepreneurs and started really understanding what was happening has just been one of the most rewarding experiences ever. And you are really breaking into an industry where I feel like they were titans, like the wedding industry as a lot of companies that have been around forever, right? Yep. So coming into an industry like that, and I guess if anyone's listening who is trying to go into an industry that's been around forever and kind of come at it in a new way, Mm -hmm. what would you say is something you did that allowed them to embrace you or allowed you to like build yourself within that community? Yeah. So I think one of the things is being open to the fact that it's a very easy when there are titans, especially when you're coming at it and you are going to be, you know, this younger, newer business to just think that you can do it better. Um, and one of the things that I really tried to do in the very beginning was try to just learn from every other business within an industry. And one of the beautiful things about it is the industry is so open in that regard. Timothy Chi, who is the founder of Wedding Wire, who's now the CEO of um, the Not Worldwide Wedding... I don't know the exact name of the now joint entity, but he's amazing. And I reached out and met him in his office and got to have conversations with him about what I was, you know, trying to build, you know, same with the people that were at um, Martha Stewart, you know, people like Darcy, they were willing to have conversations and be open about this space, which is part of the collaborative nature in it. I think the big differentiator for us too, was that at that time, so much of the focus, right? And this is 2012 when we started the business, so much of the focus was on the end consumer. And really my interest was how do we build something that speaks to the businesses first. And that was part of, I think, what generated so much opportunity for us in the beginning, you know, not to date myself, but for, you know, those of us listening, this is the beginning stages of Instagram, right? And, you know, you couldn't tag people in the first, you know, iteration of Instagram. And one of the things that we did in the very beginning with this kind of ethos of how do we support the businesses that are the backbone of this $100 billion annual industry, right? And it was, really simple and that give them credit in the images that we're posting on our Instagram channel, which sounds so obvious now, but back in the day, you know, you had blogs, whether it was in the fashion world or the food space or wherever, you know, you'd people use Instagram and they would post something and you wouldn't think to credit the photographer. I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a malicious thing. It just, there, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't best practice the way it is today. Um, and so really always having that concept of business first and then having different conversations, you know, when we were able to talk to the other Titans in the space, it was never, and it never has been about, you know, competition, but more about how there's enough opportunity for everybody. People, you know, come at this space from different angles. We're coming at it from a very different angle than other people. And I think having that tone day one and being open 
means that everybody else is open to have conversations with you. So when the payment feature in general, right, can Mm -hmm. you just how this works? And then I want to dive into dive into that more. Yeah. So the biggest challenge in choosing to get married is not actually planning your wedding. It's paying for your wedding. It's the single biggest pain point. Um, 85% of consumers every year go into debt of some form, just trying to pay to be able to celebrate the beginning of their new life together. It is the single largest purchase that doesn't yet today have built-in financing. It would be like going to bit school and expecting to have to pay your full tuition up front or not being able to drive off the car lot until you had given them the full value of the car. You know, your average wedding costs inside the US, depending on the data that you look at, you know, hovers between 30 and, you know, 70K in some big cities, right? And the majority of that spend, if you think about it, is having your guests have somewhere to actually dance and dine as well as the food and alcohol, which means that venues are about 85% of that $100 billion a year that's spent inside this industry. And your average venue asks you for a large upfront deposit. And like the easiest way to think about it, Jenna, is like, we're in New York City. You and I go out for dinner. We have appetizers. We have drinks. We have dessert. You know, we go out to an after, you know, party bar. See what we spend and then multiply that by your guest count. And then divide that in half, right? It starts to get scary. Divide that number in half. And that is day one, when you start planning your event, you'll walk into the venue and they'll ask you for that deposit, right? So what we're doing is we're partnering directly with venues. We give them this integrated invoicing software that for the first time ever, they then are able to present this experience the end consumer that gives the consumer flexibility in how they choose to pay. So instead of having to pay entirely upfront, the consumer is able to choose to split that deposit into monthly installments with the option to simultaneously spend and save. And it's no interest, no credit check to the consumer. Everything still is due before your event date. So, you know, we're not trying to create this opportunity where you spend more than you should, but in no world does it make sense for you to have to all of a sudden spend, you know, 65% of your overall budget in the first 30 days of planning when the average engagement is 12 to 18 months. It is so brilliant. And I cannot believe that this did not exist before. It's one of those ideas <laughs> that I understand why you were in business school, like with your head down, because it's just so brilliant. And I love how you just broke that down. So one, it made me just happy that you are giving access to, let's just talk about the girls because who cares about the guys on the wedding day? <laughs> <laughs> but girls that grew up with like their dream wedding in mind, and then they get to the love of their life um, and they can't afford it, right? And that just, I love that you're giving someone their dream wedding day and maybe they can't afford like the monthly payment, right? But just not all of that cash up front. So that's amazing. So I feel like a lot of founders or potential founders get to this point of this amazing idea and then it goes to actually building the company. How did you go about thinking through your first hire? What do we need to do next? Do we need to raise money? You are bootstrapping. How were you thinking about building this as your first company? Yeah. So it just goes back to the fact that you're only as strong as your team. And one of the things that you have to be honest with yourself as an entrepreneur is you know what you're good at if you really take a step back. And yes, I think a lot of entrepreneurs in the very beginning, you have to wear all hats. You know, that's just part of the journey. But if you're really honest with yourself, you know what you're strong at and what you're not strong at, right? Um, and for us, there's multi sides to our business. You know, we look like a media play on the front end, you know, and maintain 
maintaining that trust with our end consumer is super important, right? Because then they trust us when it comes to paying for their event, right? Simultaneously on the, you know, business side, like at its core, we're actually, we are a fintech business. And so, you know, making sure that we're investing in talent that, you know, has that expertise is super, super important. And so it was figuring out, you know, what those buckets are and, you know, what matters most as you're building out those roles. And so it was simultaneously making sure that, okay, we've got this incredible brand asset that drives, you know, all of this brand awareness and all of this trust. But now we have to start building out the actual infrastructure inside the fintech side of the business, right? And so a lot of our, you know, most recent hires, that's been a lot of the focus, right? And thinking about things even like I still answer the phones a lot of times for customer service because I think it's super important, you know, and I get to talk to our end user who is excited about their event and excited about having, you know, the flexibility and how they get to pay. And really for me, you know, one of the most important hires we made in the last, you know, 30 days is starting to build out that customer success team, right? And making sure that each person on that team, you know, takes the same care, right? It's, I don't want, you know, someone calling our helpline about something and not feeling like they're getting a personal touch and having a personal experience and having someone that's like, oh, I see you're getting married at this venue. That's so exciting. No, you're getting married in the summer. You know, that whole, that is incredibly important to us. And so every higher you know, across the board, thinking about like, what are those holes and what can you plug? So like I was plugging customer service for probably longer than a lot of our investors wanted me to be, but you know, what holes are, can you plug yourself? And then where do you need talent? And I think that that is kind of for every entrepreneur, it's different. You learn so much from answering customer service calls. My favorite thing. Oh my gosh. It gets addicting. I, I've done it for our company for about a month when we were switching it over. I was doing so, so many tickets and I'm laughing, being like, they don't know they're talking to the president of the company. And some people are so mean. And I'm like, oh my God, so much respect for customer service people. I do too. But you realize that I think that kind of empathy, what you start to realize is that when someone's mean, it has nothing to do typically with you. It has to do with like the energy that they are getting out based on something else. Um, and for us, what's interesting is, you know, we're operating in a very high stress, you know, high socially challenging environment when it comes to weddings. You know, I don't think any couple would ever say that it was a non-stressful process because you're not just marrying each other. You're marrying your families. You're marrying the finances, you know, that like it is a little bit of a challenging experience in that regard. And so I think that, you know, one of the things that we always try to talk about is that we're here to try to make that better. Right. And yes, some people, you know, are pleasant about it. Other people are not, but at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with us. But the customer service calls are my favorite because you learn, you learn so much about the product that you're building, right? Because one of the things when you have an idea, right? You're like, Hey, this is my idea. This is what I'm selling. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you tell the consumer you're selling them. What matters the most is what they think they're buying. And so when you, when I answer those calls, hearing what they're asking for or hearing why they're calling or hearing, you know, what the issue was or what they want to do really informs how we think about what we're building. Absolutely. So I saw that you guys just launched wedding websites. Congrats. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, first of all, <laughs> thank you. How, how are you thinking about the expansion of carrots and cake? What is next in your mind of the overall goal of, of scaling this company? Yeah. So wedding websites are really an opportunity for us to start engaging with a consumer at day zero of that planning journey. A lot of 
couples sign up for a wedding website before they're even selecting a venue. You know, it's it's kind of something that you get engaged and you get super excited and you're starting to build sort of your wedding brand before you've even picked your venue or decided, you know, the date. And there's a lot of other opportunities out there to get advice on planning and get advice on, you know, how to hire the best businesses. We offer that as well, but something that we're able to also bring to the table that's quite unique is financial planning advice, right? Which is not the sexiest part by any stretch of the imagination of the process. But if you really think about it, you're spending an insane amount of money and coming up with how you're going to spend it, who's going to help you, you know, pay for it, what that allocation of resources actually looks like is really an opportunity that isn't usually at the forefront of a lot of couples' minds. Like I'd love to say personally when I got engaged, I was like, okay, let's talk about the money instead. I was like, I think I want it to look like, you know, that that's just not that natural instinct, right? And so with wedding websites are opportunities to not only help couples create like this brand, but also to lay the financial groundwork for how they think about planning their event, their wedding, what those resources are, you know, how they're talking about it. And it gives us that opportunity so that you're not just thinking about spending smarter the second you actually type in your credit card at one of our checkout screens at a venue, but you're thinking about, you know, simultaneously spending and planning smarter from day zero. Yeah. I mean, it should come with like family therapy. (laughs) (laughs) When you talk to, when you talk to some wedding planners, they sarcastically do believe that that is actually one of the larger parts of their role. Oh, I can completely imagine that. And it it is such an uncomfortable conversation between not even your spouse, because I'm sure you've had money like talks, hopefully, Um, but just like the families and who's paying for who and like the dynamics and oh my gosh, yes, Mm -hmm. I'm not married yet, but I can imagine. So when you are building a business, right? Especially at your scale, I'm sure you are working incredibly hard. I saw your post talk, like thanking your husband and your son. You're like, for like not freaking out when I'm (laughs) on my laptop all the time. How do you feel like you are able to truly calm down and like come home to yourself and have a moment where the phone is not like constantly going off or the slack or the email and you just chill and relax? It's a great question. Um, it doesn't happen probably as often as it should. I think um, I think when you're building something, the lines are just blurred a lot. And I think one of the things that I've tried to do over the years is just you have to embrace the imbalance, right? And so there's going to be moments where things aren't insane, right? And so I'm able to then walk in the door and make it home in time for dinner with my son who's younger before he goes to bed and, you know, leave my phone at the front and actually like sit with him and engage. And then there are other nights where that's not the reality. And I think that prior to the last couple of years, like COVID, I think shed a lot of light on sort of the messiness of, you know, building a business and having a family and, you know, all of those blurred lines. I think prior to that, I used to feel a ton of guilt and beat myself up, which then in turn means that, you know, you're not productive on either side. And instead now I kind of just embrace it. And I know sometimes I know when things are going to be insane. And so I just, that's the expectation. And I know that I'm not going to be fully present, which is why in the moments where I'm able to be, it's incredibly important. I would say, you know, one of the things that we do internally at our company is we're, you know, we have this high low thing on Fridays and we try to then, you know, after everybody gets their high lows out, not, you know, 
start pinging everybody unless it's an emergency. You know, we try to limit certain things so that you can give your, you know, team and everybody time and space. Um, and I think it's incredibly important too, because people see, you know, from the top, you know, but I think that the key is, is that there are moments in time where I'm able to do it. And then there's moments in time where we're in the middle of a massive deal or we're fundraising and it, you're just on all the time. And I think that that's the key is that you can't beat yourself up because that's what you signed up for. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't love it because I do. it doesn't feel like work, like I actually love it. Um, but it's, when, it's why when there's those moments where things aren't crazy, like put the phone down because you don't know when you'll get that next moment. Yeah. I think that is very consistent with a lot of founders, <laughs> your answer. Yeah. So how big is your team now? There's about 30 of us. Okay. So being the leader of 30 people, what is something you learned about leading a team that you think is incredibly important? Yeah. Um, I think especially in this environment where so many companies, you know, we're not face-to-face as much as we used to be. We've really embraced this culture of sharing and communicating digitally. We have our own sort of internal network um, that I can't take credit for pioneering this. Actually, our CMO was like, hey, I have this idea. And we've built this system on this network where there's daily check-ins across every team. There's Monday morning, you know, the entire company, 30 people are answering this. How was your weekend? And posting photos and sharing, right? And every day, you know, people are sharing like little blips on what they worked on, you know, and the prompt to the whole team isn't, would you accomplish? It's how was your day, right? And so then some people are sharing, you know, what it is they accomplish work-wise or what it is they accomplish personally. Like one of uh, one of our team members was like, I sold my car today. You know, that was the big thing, right? And from that perspective, what I think being the leader is in that regard is creating an environment where people feel like they can share, not just personally, but professionally has become one of the biggest things where I think that one of the philosophies that we have in team building is that it's not just about the work we're doing, but it's the work that we're doing it with. And I believe in that concept, not dissimilar from how we think about carrots, where the stronger the industry is, the stronger the entire experience is, the stronger and the more we support the individual person that's working with us. And the more we care for them, the stronger their output is, right? And part of that is giving them a voice to share and be heard and be known. And so the long-winded answer to that is what I've learned is I share. I'm not naturally the most open person, but every Monday I'm sharing my updates. Every day I'm hopping in and making sure that I'm seeing what everybody's doing and commenting and making sure they feel seen and appreciated and heard because externally that's the validation that we want for the company. And then internally we need to create that validation for our team. Well, you fooled me. You seem very open. (laughs) I don't know about that. So two questions left. The first is, what are you most excited about thinking of the future of Carrots and Cake? What I'm most excited about is that we're only getting started, which I know sounds so funny given we're a 10-year-old company, but we really are only getting started. We have so many more products coming to life right now and tools both for the businesses inside the industry as well as the end consumer that I'm so excited for the next six months. I think it's going to be a really exciting time. And I also think that um, as we continue to grow our team, I get so excited about the people that we continue to bring into the company and the growth that we get to have. And 
hopefully we're all going to get to be together in person soon. So that's also one of the things I'm looking forward to the most because so much of our team has been hired during an environment where you didn't get to meet people in person. Um, so that's also something I'm looking forward to. That's so funny. I interviewed the founder of Madison Reed yesterday, who's the mm-hmm. hairline. And she's, I think, around like nine or 10 years into, and she kept saying that we're only getting started. Yeah, it also might be like, you know, people try to peg like what those personality traits are of entrepreneurs. And one of them, you know, this, this like, you're always like, you hit a bar and then there's the next bar and the next bar. And I think that like, from that perspective, it's like, you know what the vision is, you know how big it can get. And it goes back to when you're, passionate about something it's not one idea it's the ideas that you know like keep flowing so that you're just always going yeah you're connected to the well mm-hmm. coming yeah and final question this has been very fun what would you say is your number one piece of advice for a woman who is wanting to start her own business <sighs> that is such a tough one because there are so many i think that the biggest one would be something that my one of my old bosses said is you can spend your life building someone else's dream or you can go chase your own. And so it goes back to, you know, what we were saying that I think a lot of founders would say is that you kind of just have to leap in and do it. Otherwise you're always gonna sit there and wonder what if. And the more you overthink it, it's gonna be worse and it's also going to be better than you think it's going to be. But you you really just have to take the leap and go. Jess, you are amazing. This has been so fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. I really appreciate it. Okay, I hope you enjoyed this episode and are feeling so fired up to go out there and create that business or side hustle that's been on your to-do list, you know, a little bit longer than you care to admit. It is never too late to make the first step towards the life you want more than anything else. If you haven't already, make sure you are subscribed to the show so that you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, keep becoming the woman of your wildest dreams.